Right, welcome along to another episode of the How I Caught the Wrestling Bug podcast. I'm delighted to say, joining me all the way from Australia for this episode is uh, CJ Tappin. CJ, how's it going? It's going good, man. Thank you for having me. I'm glad we could finally do this. So am I. I must apologise right from the start. I've done uh, quite a lot of these this week, and uh, I think my voice is uh, a bit shot. But we'll, we'll see how we how we get on. But um, you were saying that uh, you have done some podcasts in the in in the past, uh, wrestling wise. Yeah, I just did a. I started one last year because I bought the gear. I really wanted to do it, and. Um, I did some episodes. It was mainly wrestling, but a bit of like pop culture that was going on around, and somewhat unrelated to wrestling as well, and a bit of sports. But my, um, I was in university last year as well, and it really started to heat up, so I had to kind of stop that, to so I could get through it and finish it. But I'm finished university now, so starting to work on some new stuff, which is exciting. But yeah, so you're probably going to do more sort of wrestling podcasts in the future or would it be more sort of culture um sort of pop culture stuff do you reckon do you think um probably a bit of both but wrestling centric i'm just kind of workshopping some stuff at the moment and um yeah it's just figuring out how to differentiate and you know how to be unique but yeah definitely working on stuff at the moment of course, all the guests I've had on so far and all the guests to come have come from the uh, Fight Game podcast Facebook group. You're, you're relatively new to that uh, to that group, aren't you? I think you joined in the last sort of few months, didn't you? Yeah, so I um, I don't normally have Facebook. I deleted it a while ago because I was just like sick of it. But I um, got talking to Garrett, who runs it. I just asked him a question about like gear relating to podcasting and such. And he's like, you should join this group for his fight, the, his podcast. And I was like, oh, cool. But then it's like this really cool, like, you know, because on wrestling Twitter, I just, like, there has been many a time where I've contemplated just deleting the app, deleting an account, because there's just so many, you know, selfishly there's opinions that I don't agree with that bother me, but at the same time there's a lot of people that have, like, a bad attitude or they're just very negative and it's just, you know, the fight game group is the complete opposite. Like, everyone's on the same page. Yep. They all I've said get that. along and respect each other's opinion. I've said that many times on this show, that of all the, the groups I've been a part of, I've not been a part of a lot of them because, quite frankly, I haven't got a lot of patience for those types of things because, as you say, I mean, anyone that has a differing opinion, you know, it's it, it just like everybody just has such an issue with it and, and people get... Um, yeah, very upset and irate with you if you've got a different opinion to theirs. It's like, really? I mean, you're really going to be like that? Whereas with the Fight Game podcast Facebook group, yeah, we disagree from time to time. We're not going to agree on everything, but we're able to have adult discussions and nobody's going to fall out and nobody's going to stop talking to each other because of it. So yeah, it's a really great group and everyone that's a part of it is is great. And I've had some great people on this podcast uh, from that group I've got plenty more to come and I'm, I'm delighted to have you on today but um, the first question I ask everyone is what is your earliest memory of wrestling so can you remember what your earliest memory of wrestling would be yeah so oddly enough I was when you, when you um well when you 
approached me with the podcast or I approached you or whatever, and it was how I caught the wrestling bug, I believe. I, I knew this would be one of the main questions, and I really had to think back because since a young age, wrestling's just been a constant in my life, whether I was in or out of it. But oddly enough, I think it was a video game because I had a buddy who I would hang out with all the time because our parents were friends. And he had a video game, and I was that way introduced to like Mysterio and Cena and um, Triple H, Shawn Michaels. And I was like, what the hell is this? You know, like, um, but yeah, and then eventually from that, you discover it, you find it, you beg your mom to get cable or Foxtel that we call it in Australia to watch it. But yeah, I'd say it was a video game in um, 06. I probably discovered it. But yeah, um, yeah it's wild. It's, you just think about it, that's That's what? 15 years ago almost that I first discovered it. But yeah, the video game, I think it was SmackDown vs. Raw 2005. So so roughly how old would you have been at that time? Uh, I'm 22 now. I would have been 7. Right. I think because that would have come out in... Oh, maybe it was 2006, 2000. Yeah, 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 no, no, I was seven years old. Yeah, that, it all adds up, yeah. Because <laughs> the next question is, um, which wrestlers captured your imagination as a kid? And, and in asking that question, I sort of assume that people have got into wrestling fairly young. So, yeah, you, you were seven years old. So who was really grabbing your attention? You mentioned sort of Rey Mysterio and, and John Cena, people like that. Were those the main guys for you back then? Yeah, the biggest one, you know, and I'm happy to admit it because I was very young, was Cena. Because I'm like, like everyone else is wearing, you know, trunks and tights or pants or whatever. But he's out there in the shorts and he's got the sweatbands. And yeah. I'm like, who is this guy? Like, he's like different from everyone else. And he, you know, I, some, for whatever reason, found the you can't see me thing cool. I just thought he was the coolest guy in the world. And I think that's um probably what drew me initially because I just wanted to see him, you know, win and beat everyone but then i was like why is this mysterio guy wearing a mask and then you know obviously he's like so small but he flies and he does all this stuff and it's just it's it's kind of beautiful how naive you are to the sport because now i'm just so jaded and just so like i don't know like i just watch it so differently to how i watched it back then but yeah definitely seeing a mysterio i would say were the first few first two that captured my imagination Cause I, suppose, sure. I suppose they were both. That was around the time that both of them would have been champions. I mean, I mean, it was WrestleMania twenty-two, wasn't it, in two thousand six, where Ray won the belt. Was that around the sort of time you started watching? Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, so my, I was a bit after that. It was kind of. Oh, was it around? I think it was kind of late, mid to late oh six. Ray had already lost the belt. To, right. Um, Booker T, uh, I think. Booker. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Cena was still champion. He was champion, like, forever. But, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was, it, there was a lot of wanting Ray to win the title back. And little did I know he would kind of never would um, in a meaningful way. But, yeah, that was, it was kind of around that time, yeah. So, have you attended any live wrestling shows at all over the years? Yes. What yes. was the first so my one? first one... It was um, it was in 2007 in November. It was the Raw Survivor Series tour, 
at what was then known as the Acer Arena in Sydney, which is now known as Kudos Bank Arena. For any people that live in Sydney that are listening to this, um, and the main event was set to be John Cena versus Randy Orton. And if you remember, John Cena got injured in late 2007. He tore his pec. Right. Yeah. And you, as you already know, I was the biggest John Cena fan. And I was on vacation in Queensland when I went on my computer in an internet cafe because it was still quite primal back then. And I read that John Cena's injured and off the show and I was crushed. I was so crushed. I was like, oh my God, I'm not going to see John Cena. But um, no, it was it was still cool because Triple H was in the main event and he was super over at the time, obviously. And it was still a lot of fun. But yeah, it definitely hurt that he didn't get to see Cena at that. But yeah. Yeah, because that was when he made his great return to the Royal Rumble, wasn't it? Where people weren't expecting him to come back that soon, and he made the surprise entrance at number 30, and uh, that was probably yeah. the biggest reaction maybe he ever got, was when he came back in that Royal Rumble that year. Yeah. I See, yeah, because I don't, obviously at the time didn't kind of sense the, not revolt, but the kind of rejection by the hardcore fans of John Cena. But the the thing with that uh, return that you mentioned is that no matter what, he's the biggest star in the company at the time. He is right at the forefront. It's John Cena. It's, you know, it's this era's Hulk Hogan. And so to have him come back from such a devastating injury so early in such a, you know, in Madison Square Garden and, you know, at number 30, this you can't, there isn't a lot of better ways to return someone to get that pop because you're too caught up in the moment to realize, oh, I'm, I'm supposed to hate John Cena because he's kind of against, you know, what I like as a hardcore fan. Especially in New so York they really, as well. they really did well with that. Yeah, especially... Oh, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. New York, you know, tend to really get behind heels for the most part. But um, at any point did you, like from 2006 to now, have you ever sort of stopped watching at any point? Yeah, so there's been two kind of points in my life where I've lost interest. And I... You know, obviously I love wrestling now and I always have, but I chalk it up to just that kind of era of your life when you go through phases when you're very young. Um, you know, around the time, it might have been mid to late 2008 that I kind of lost interest. And in 2009, I started really getting into music and playing guitar and all this stuff. So I kind of was like a bit out of it. So like, it wasn't so much about going home and watching Raw that week. It was going home and practicing guitar. And, but then I got back into it just after the 2011 Royal Rumble. And then not long after that, Edge retires and just that emotionally destroyed me because even though, um, I hated Edge back when I was first into it, like I couldn't stand him, you know, all that. Like, it was still so sad because I understood that he was now a good guy and it kind of made you look back at how good a, um, I hate the word performer, but wrestler that he was. And, um, yeah, I'm kind of going on an edge deal here. But, yeah, 2011, I got back into it. And then when CM Punk did his uh, pipe bomb, I was like, yeah. holy shit. Yeah. I'm fucking really into this now. And that's when it went from Cena's my favorite to CM Punk is my favorite. He's the coolest not just wrestler, but person in the world. I want to be CM Punk. He is so fucking cool. And I will say, 
while I'm on this sort of um, sort of rant here, that even though they tried to bury him in 2011, I still never faltered how much I was behind him as a wrestler. So they tried, but they failed because I, like many, was still all aboard the CM Punk train. And then um, when he, when Punk lost to The Rock, and by this point I was kind of smart to wrestling and how it all worked, I was very, very angry. And again, it's also phases in your life. Like I started playing in bands and stuff. So I, you know, I was like, oh, fuck this. Like they're just going to treat CM Punk like this. I don't want to watch this. And um, I kind of fell out of it for about a year while I was, you know, just fucking around trying to make music and failing miserably. And then early 2014, again, just after the Rumble, and I wasn't exactly aware that CM Punk was never coming back, which hurt, but I was still super into Daniel Bryan, as I had been before I fell out again. And since that early 2014, I'd say February, March, I haven't missed an episode of Raw, and I haven't missed an episode of SmackDown since I went live, and they're saying for NXT. So, yeah, that's kind of where I fell out. But majority of the time, I've been watching, so... I kind of got into the the whole CM Punk thing on the last episode with John Rocker. We talked about it a little bit, and I kind of said that I understand why they never turned John Cena heel because of the whole Make a Wish thing, which obviously is very important, and you can't take it away from John Cena the amount he's done for that great charity. But if there was ever a guy that you could have turned him against, it would have been CM Punk. I think CM Punk was over enough. Because, I mean, John Cena always had the kids and the female fan base, didn't he? But CM Punk also had a very strong kids and female fan base as well. So I think they could have really gone all the way with CM Punk and made him the top babyface. What what do you think to that? Do you think they could have done that? Oh, I absolutely agree. And I, I point to um, a few things that prove your point there is you know, if you look back at the one of the best matches of all time, where he, it was Cena and Punk in Chicago in 2011, yeah, money in the bank, yeah, kind of still my favorite, yeah, probably my favorite modern WWE match ever, despite all the great takeover ones we've had. None of had the drama that Punk and Cena had. Um, you have, in that arena, despite how much of a home field advantage it was for Punk, you still had the very like high-pitched, let's go Cena, but the very guttural and masculine CM Punk chant, which is a beautiful painting of the picture of what you just said, of kind of the divide between Cena and Punk, who were, at that point, the two biggest stars in the WWE. But, you know, there's also this famous GIF video, whatever, of CM Punk going to the commentary table in his grey shirt wearing a blazer, but he's still in his trunks and boots, and he just goes and shakes his girl's hand. Yeah. Yeah. And she just fucking bolts. She's in the front row. I'm sure you've seen it. Yeah, and it's like this guy has such a unique charisma, and I think people really got behind him, but it just wasn't in their plans, and that's why they didn't go for it. And it's incredibly frustrating. And, you know, CM Punk's obviously not the only one to have suffered this sort of um, being held down, this stifle from the company, but um, probably one of the most significant regarding, you know, the mainstream attention that he got with um, what he said in the pipe bomb and just how popular he was and how well he carried himself as a wrestler and, you know, all that. And um, another thing, too, is, like, I think if he really was at the forefront 
you, you look back now at how much of an old school guy he was, and I think that really would have been good for um, wrestling, which we will probably get into later with right. one of the um, points you brought up. But yeah, that's just another kind of thing I always think about with Punk and what they missed out on. But, you know, everything happens for a reason. Yeah, I think they really blew it in the summer of Punk in, in, in so many ways. I mean, him losing to Triple H uh, was, I think, such a mistake. Uh, I, I don't see why Triple H had to win that match. It made no sense to me at all. Yeah. But anyway, we're going off on a tangent here. But yeah, um, the next question is, uh, what are your viewing habits now? So uh, do you watch uh, any WWE at all nowadays? Yeah, so I, I watch, and I say watch, um, it's a, it's it's arguable that I don't. But Raw and SmackDown are shows that I have on in the background when I'm doing stuff. You know, when I was at university and studying and working on assignments, Raw and SmackDown would just be on the background. Um, you know, and nowadays if I'm doing writing or working on anything else, it's just on in the background. And um, but AEW, I sit down and watch because um, it just feels a lot more exciting and. It doesn't feel like it's being made in a container, which is kind of an analogy I've come up with in WWE programming. Um, and NXT I do watch because there's a lot of guys there I like, and it's, you know, sometimes you sit back and think, you look at the NXT roster and it's pretty much just like Battle of Los Angeles from, you know, years past from PWG. But, um, yeah, in Japan, I'm, New Japan's my number one. I watch that religiously. Um... I do love like nine things out of ten with New Japan. I think they just do so much right. And um, there's there's more promotions I do want to watch and get into, like Dragon Gate and Noah and All Japan. But it's like I just don't know if I have the time because I'm a really big sports fan outside of wrestling. Like I love basketball and I love watching football. Like these are American sports, and it's just like well. It's hard, it's hard enough to fit all this stuff in. I couldn't imagine adding another promotion, but I, I'm likely going to get a Dragon Gate subscription this year, so, yeah. The next um, sort of set of questions I call Rapid Fire. I don't really know why I call them Rapid Fire, because it never normally is Rapid Fire, but um, favourite <laughs> favorite wrestler of all time? Uh, who, would you, uh, who would you say was your favourite wrestler of all time? Um, I can't... It has to be a tie between CM Punk and Bret Hart because they mean so much to me in similar ways, but also very different. How did you become a fan of of Bret? Um, Just watching old stuff, you know, and um, like just reading about the screw job. And, you know, that's like kind of the first thing because, you know, I was, what, seven in 2006, when I first got into wrestling, I didn't know who Bret Hart was. So you weren't even born um, when the Montreal screw job happens. Yeah, exactly. It happened yeah. before I was born. So, and it, I just didn't understand what it was until I was again smart to everything, and just you know everything the way he carried himself. And I've read his book. I've seen a lot of his matches. I've yeah. seen the wrestling with shadows. And like this guy was so professional, treated the business so seriously. Um, if you've read his book, say what you will about his out-of-the-ring conquests, if, if you will. But um, he, he was just, I think he was just such a better role model, better, like I, anyone, I will disagree with anyone that says Brett, respectfully disagree, that says 
Sean was better than Brett. I just think Sean was very, um, you know, flamboyant, spectacular, but Brett just had everything else down. And he was, a, he just seemed like he was a great leader of the locker room and just yeah. the utmost professional. And quick story, when I was at Double or Nothing, the first one, and like I'm a big Bret Hart fan, <laughs> and you can imagine my shock and excitement when Jack Whitehall just all, all of a sudden introduces the best there was, the best there is, the best there ever will be. I just lost my shit. And that's like, obviously having never got to see Bret Hart in his prime live, that was a really big deal for me to be able to see that. But yeah, Bret, I don't know, man. Like he's just, it's my style of wrestling and he personifies it. Well, Brett that's, is, that's the short answer. <laughs> Brett is probably my favourite. I'm a huge Ric Flair fan as well, but I, th- I think Brett's probably my number one favourite. Yeah. And, and um, me and Justin Nipper are actually going to start doing a podcast all about Brett Hart. We're going to go back over his entire career and uh, re-watch a lot of his old matches. And uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a podcast called Excellence all about Bret Hart so I'm, yeah. I'm sure you're I'm sure you're going to enjoy that but um, yeah um, favourite favourite match of all time this is tough so I have I have multiple for different reasons and they all mean different things to me but mm, I immediately jumped to Punk and Cena but with that said, I love the Flair Steamboat trilogies, and it's hard for me to pick one. And um, obviously, the fourth Omega Okada is incredible. And, you know, Bret Hart and Steve Austin at WrestleMania 13, obviously. Um, and even that Canadian Stampede main event is so dope. It's just like a sick brawl between the whole Hart Foundation and you know, Steve Austin and his crew in Calgary. But I think just because of how the impact it had on me, probably Punk and Cena at Money in the Bank. But I right. put all those other ones I mentioned like in equal equal footing just because they're all so great for different reasons. And I know I'm, I'm definitely leaving one out as well that I am sorry if I am, but yeah. They're, they're the ones I think of immediately. Those are great. I love the Flair Steamboat matches um you know the rick flair dvd yeah. set is one of my favorite dvd sets they have, they've ever put out and i used to watch the steamboat matches over and over and over again and never grow tired of watching them they're just great matches and punk and cena and 2011 i think that's still to this day the last wwe match that dave Meltzer gave five stars to i think because i think all the other ones since there's been a few in nxt but never on the main roster. Yeah, there's been quite a few in NXT. I'm, I think you're right, but I also feel like there might be one that we're both forgetting about. But yeah, I because definitely it, say. Uh, I'm trying to think uh, if there is. I'm not sure there is. There are NXT ones, as we say, but I don't think on the main roster there's been. Because obviously, Sean and Taker, that was before, wasn't it? That was like 2009. I don't think even that got five stars. So, yeah, I don't think there's been one. Yeah, that- there are a lot of matches that I'm surprised. Like, not this isn't me ripping Dave because I'm a big no, fan no. of his and I love his work and stuff. But it's just, you know, it's just his opinion or whatever. Like, it's not. That's another thing. Just quickly with wrestling Twitter that I don't like is the whole star rating reaction. Like, he gives yeah. things five stars. I disagree. 
or he gives something like four and a half. I'm like, well, that could have been a bit higher, but it's just it's one man's opinion. But um, yeah, the Sean and Taker, I'm surprised didn't get it, just because now I kind of watch things like Osprey and Okada the other night. I just knew like 25 minutes in, this is getting fired from Dave. I don't know if I would personally. I don't personally rate matches. I kind of more guess what he's going to give them, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's been a WWE one since Punk and Cena, and that kind of speaks to the how great it was, I guess. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I talked to uh, John the Rocker on the last show, and we talked a little bit about the Osprey-Okada match, and he said that he felt that Osprey didn't work any differently as a heel than he did as a babyface. How, how do you feel about that? Do you, do you think that he sort of worked more or less the same style, or did you see a difference in him in that match of Okada? So, <laughs> one thing, before I answer your question, I just want to point out one thing about Osprey. Like, I, this, you know, the, the things that happened this year personally with him, like, again, like, I'm, I'm someone that does try to separate the art from the artist to an extent, but there's always a line with that. And with Osprey, I can't get into his stuff as much as I used to just because there's all this stuff. And, you know, I don't really know what it is now because there's been more things that have come out. But because of that, it's kind of put a damper on how I feel about him. And that's, I mean, I can still watch a Will Osprey match and objectively look at it as two wrestlers uh, doing a wrestling match. And to answer your question... Um, I think he worked a little bit more heel, but because he kind of relies on the spectacular stuff, he sort of has to do it. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's kind of like when you watch a Will Ospreay match, it's sort of what people are going to expect. But I, I did think the match was very good. But And another thing about Ospreay, that dude grunts so much when he wrestles. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed this, but like, fuck, man. Like, I was watching it and I'm like, and it stands out even more because there's no heat in the building because the people can't make noise. And you just hear him going, uh, 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 like for every, you know. And I mean, whatever, like guys do it. And, you, and I'm only noticing it now, but it was very noticeable and I couldn't stop noticing it during the match. I but prob- I, I, I'd say he, I'll go on. I was going to say now that you've mentioned that, I, I'm I'm going to notice it. I I'm, I hadn't I hadn't really noticed it until yeah. you mentioned it, but now when I watch it back, I'm going to be that's all I'm going to hear now. I think from now on. Um, <laughs> sorry, I've ruined every Will Ospreay match. No, no, I'm sure you haven't. Um, the best show you've ever attended live. What would that be? Um. Double or nothing 2019, and you know, as you know, I live in Australia and we don't get a lot of um, big shows out here. And the independence, there's one promotion that is coming up and it's getting good, but it's personally, there's a lot of like comedy and stuff and a lot of contrived um, things in their wrestling that I don't particularly like, but I think they are getting more and more popular because just people like that, and that's fine. There's still, still some stuff in there that I like, but. Yeah, Double or Nothing 2019 was the best show just because, I mean, you know, for the reasons that everyone knows, it was this brand new promotion on such a big stage. Um, and, you know, there's obviously, there was obviously things on that show I didn't like, but it was just, you know, from Cody and Dustin to, like, just the, like, I felt like I was being able to watch a Jim Crockett Promotions main event match, right. you know, and that yeah. felt that was really special to me. 
And then you get the Young Bucks and the Lucha Brothers who just have this insane tag team match. And I thought Phoenix was just, like, I wanted to have whatever he was having that night because he was going crazy. And then you get the classic American-style um, main event with Omega and Jericho. And then you have the debut of John Moxley. And I remember Jericho was doing his promo, and for whatever reason, before anyone had picked it up, that Moxley was in the building, I just happened to look over to where he's walking down. And I, I was there by myself, so the two people on either side of me were strangers, and I tapped them, I was like, fucking look over there. Sorry, you can bleep that if you want. I was like, look over there, um, look who it is, and everyone just started freaking out in my section. And then, you know, that was one of the you know greatest things I've ever seen, wrestling or not. Um, but yeah, double or nothing by far. But I did go to Survivor Series 2018, and that was quite good. That would give Brock and Daniel Bryan and um, Ronda and Charlotte. But Double or Nothing 2019 is the best. And the last question I ask everyone, which um, a lot of people don't know how to go about answering it because you can kind of go at it at, at, in several different angles, really. But if you could change one thing about the business, uh, what would it be? So if you could change one thing about wrestling, what would that be? So when I saw this question, there were two things that came to mind. And if, you, if you'll indulge me, I'll say the secondary one because it's not as important as the first. But the secondary one was, let's go back to what wrestling was and let's really look at the rules and how wrestling is supposed to work and let's kind of go back to that, if that makes sense. Like things like tag ropes, things like five counts. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you look at a lot of modern wrestling today, it's a very, like, rules are thrown out the window. There's a lot of, you know, and I, you're going to get cooperation in wrestling no matter what, but just, if we could all just kind of regress back to traditional wrestling, because I think that's, you know, it's kind of a more romantic, for lack of a better term, form of, you know, worked combat sport. But now that I've gotten rid of that, I would say regulation and this mainly comes from the speaking out movement from the middle of last year. I think yeah. that in order to protect, you know, every wrestler, regardless of gender and how they identify and whatever, is, you know, like all, a lot of those girls were in very compromising positions. They just wanted to become wrestlers and these disgusting men took advantage of them. You know, and um, yeah. yeah, I just say regulation, however it can be, however it can be done, whether it's the government, whether it's, you know, the commissions, like the UFC has commissions. Um, yeah, I just say regulate wrestling, let's make it as safe as it can be, but let's also make the product as dangerous as it can be, if that makes sense, without risking people's health. But you know what I'm trying to say. Well, a bit of blood every now and then enhances a match and I, yeah, I think that exactly. if you're getting like the um the dog collar match uh with Brody and and, and Cody uh, which obviously is, is is quite a relevant match right now with with the sad passing of, of Brody yeah. which which is you know really sucks I'm still I'm really not over that uh I don't think I ever will get over it it's I such just a, bought that shirt oh did you yeah yeah, yeah. I bought the dog collar match shirt because obviously they're doing the um thing with the person piece so I thought I'd do my part and I did buy that to kind of commemorate that match but yeah sorry you were saying yeah because I mean if you if you're in a dog collar match and, and you're whipping the other guy and, and they don't bleed I mean it's just not 
believable. I know wrestling is fake, we all know it is, but realism is very important at times, and uh, especially when you're doing like a Hell in a Cell match as well. I mean, I don't know how you can sort of promote a Hell in a Cell match without anyone bleeding, really. I mean, I haven't got to bleed in every match, but every now and again, you know, if you're, if you're throwing somebody into a cage and they don't, they don't bleed, you know, it's just a bit unbelievable. Yeah, well, like you said, we all know wrestling is fake, right? But we don't know what's going to happen. It's like if any TV, sh any scripted drama you've ever watched. If you watch The Sopranos, you watch Mad Men. We know this isn't real. We know this is John Hamm playing John Draper. We know this is James Gandolfini playing Tony Soprano. But we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what the script says. As much as we have, might have an indication, and you know, in wrestling, more things get leaked. We don't know what's going to happen. And like you said, with blood. I think, you know, like, I would never say, oh, someone has to bleed. No. But, fuck, if they want to bleed, it helps the match. And like you said with cage matches, I think the pr one thing you I thought of when you said cage matches, people should bleed, I thought about, we don't want people bleeding too much, and they have cage matches all the time. But the problem there is they have cage matches all the time. They should have cage exactly. matches a lot less. They shouldn't have a pay-per-view called... should have cage matches... So I was just going to say, they shouldn't have a pay-per-view called Hell yeah. on the Cell, because... It oh, more often than not, it's a case of oh, we've got a Hell in a Cell pay per view coming up uh, because we do a Hell in a Cell pay per view every October. So we're going to throw two guys in the Hell in a Cell or two women in the Hell in a Cell just because it's October. It's Hell in a Cell month, but no, Hell in a Cell should be something you see very, very rarely. It should be the culmination of a big feud, yeah. like Sean, like the first one with Sean and Taker. You know, they, they had so many matches where there was always interference. So, let's have a Hell in a Cell match to stop people from getting involved and you have a decisive winner. And that's how the Hell in a Cell should be used. But unfortunately, that's not the case. And same with TLC. You know, doing a TLC show in December. Um, you just you end up just throwing two guys randomly. AJ Styles and Drew McIntyre. who never had a match before. And their first match together is a TLC match. Because... It's a TLC pay-per-view. You know, it, it doesn't really, it doesn't really work, does it? Yeah, and another thing with that, like, why do we need to have? And look, if, if people want to see a TLC match, you know, all the more power to them. I personally, when you look at how a lot of guys have ended up, um, and you know, I would say women, but women haven't been doing TLC matches until quite recently. But if you look at how. Like, look, Ed, Edge is the prime example of this. Like, all, he did so many of those matches. Yeah. And it took such a toll on his body. And when I watched TLC 2 in the 2021 lens, I'm thinking, these guys are fucking killing themselves. Yeah. And now, granted, at that time, it was revolutionary, and there were, it was a massive thing, and it was at WrestleMania, and there was this giant, like, it was a spectacle. But now, I don't see the point of doing a TLC match in an empty arena with just fake on screens like the whole idea of that originally was to, was to have like a great experience for the live fans and the fans made the experience on television but without the fans I don't see the need for any of these gimmick matches because there's no adrenaline when they take the bumps on the ladders the chairs or the tables so it's like they're really going through a lot worse punishment and getting less reaction they're just getting pumped in noise and you know it's just not real and I've never, I've really kind of hated the fact that they're still doing gimmick matches in the pandemic. And I know they need viewers and stuff, but it's like, don't rely on these crutches of gimmick matches that put your 
guys in more danger and women in more danger just write good feuds write good storylines you know look at this roman reign stuff this roman reign stuff would still be incredibly compelling without you know um hell in a cell and yeah it didn't need DLC and the match with uh, these, yeah, sorry gone on. sorry gone I was just going to say no. The match no, with um, no, I was just going to say the match of Roman okay. and uh, Jey Uso, um, which I thought was a really compelling match, and um, it went like forty minutes, I think. And but at no point was I bored watching it because because they they had me hooked from the start to the finish. But it didn't need to be in a hell in a cell. Yeah, because. It, even still, like, I, there's Hell in a Cell matches in the past that I've loved, like, Taker and Brock, obviously, Taker and, um, Foley. Yeah. Uh, the, the Triple H and Batista one from 2005 is very underrated, I think. And, um, but it's like, really, what are you doing in a Hell in a Cell besides getting a bit more brutal with the weapons and running them into the cage, you know? And I think, especially, like you said, like, in the pandemic, with no fans, I don't think you need the big cage. And it's fucking red now, which is just hideous. Which and made since the, the Seth Rollins and the Fiend Hellenist... Exactly, yeah. I was just going to say I was just going to say that. Yeah, that made that match even worse. Especially with that r- ridiculous red tint they had during that match as well. And then you've got a red cage on top of it. Everything that could possibly... You know, all, it had all the recipes of a bad match. And... Uh, yeah, that's what we got. It was just a, a terrible match with a DQ finish, wasn't it? At the end, it's like a DQ and a Hell in a Cell match. Well, yeah, you, you saw what Sean Waltman said. I think they later kind of backed up and said, "Oh, oh no, it was a no contest." Yeah. But even then, like in a Hell in a Cell, it's supposed to be a feud end up. There's not supposed to be like you know a, a stepping stone along the way, and that's what, like you said, like I think the October pay per view they should just take Halloween Havoc and make it on the last Sunday of October and just have a real big gimmick for that. That's fine. With like a theme set and you know if you want to do a gimmick match, sure. But how exciting was Hell in a Cell back in like, you know, 2007 when all of a sudden, I think it was SummerSlam or Survivor Series, it was like Undertaker and Batista and it's just like, oh yeah. shit, Hell in a Cell. Or, like, or Undertaker you know, and Edge. One since. Yep. Because we didn't know when it was coming. Now we know when it's coming. And, like, you know, you might as well just retire it at this point because it's just been, you know, I hate to use this term, but it's been prostituted for, like... No, it has. Yeah, 10 absolutely. years, 11 years. Yeah. You made a great point of edge as well, and I also think Jeff Hardy is a good example of that as well because Jeff Hardy had a match, a ladder match, I think it was, with, like, Sami Zayn and AJ Styles. And... People loved that match, but I felt they were taking far too many, especially Jeff, you know, considering how many, the amount of punishment he's gone through over the years. He was taking so many unnecessary bumps in front of nobody. You know, you're wrestling in front of TV screens, you know, in the Thunderdome. I know you've got people watching at home, but still, I was like, really, Jeff, you you don't need to be doing all these crazy things. And I just, it took me out of the match. Because I couldn't enjoy it. I couldn't sit there and enjoy it because I just kept thinking to myself, Jeff, just stop. Yeah, you don't need to be doing all this stuff. Um, and um, I would much rather see a straight-up wrestling match. I mean, I, I do I do like 
Hell and Cells and ladder matches every now and again. But as you say, they're, they're done too often. They don't mean anything. And to, to use the AJ Styles, Drew McIntyre example again, I would have much rather seen those two guys in a straight-up match. We've never seen it before. And, and those two guys awesome. could have gone out and had a great yeah. match. Well, to go, to go back to um, Jeff Hardy, especially when I watch him do this stuff now, and I also think about that bump, the freaking swanton he did onto Elias, and he oh, pretty much yeah. hit his head on the chest. Yeah. Yeah, and when, so with Jeff, you know, not to... This isn't me, like, being negative on him, but he has a history of, you know, painkiller abuse, and I just think he's taking painkillers because he's doing this stuff. Like, I don't want to see him doing this stuff anymore. You know what I mean? Like, at least if he's going to do it, just do it at WrestleMania or at SummerSlam. Like, don't do it on SmackDown or at some B-grade, C-grade pay-per-view. And, yeah, it's just... I just think Jeff Hardy is more than capable of having... You know, if if you put him in there with, like, a Drew McIntyre or an AJ Styles or a Sami Zayn, he can have a good wrestling match. And like you said, with straight wrestling matches as well, like, I think we saw at WrestleMania this past one in the Performance Center, like, those, the Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair and the Sami Zayn and Daniel Bryan matches were, I enjoyed them very much because they're just fucking, they're really just in there having a fight. Yeah. And that's, I think, what they should have really leaned into in the pandemic, but they're still just doing their same old <laughs> grandiose WWE corporate stuff, you know, their, their brand. And that's another thing, too, I changed. Sorry, just to go back to your question, I just thought of this, like, change about the business. This is more WWE specifically. Let's get the people over rather than the brand. Let's let's focus on the wrestling kind of more. Like, let's not have to rely on Goldberg and, you know, oh, older God, guys. Yeah. What's going to happen when you need Goldberg and he's you got a wheeling in? Because he's, like, <laughs> going to be 70 years old, you know what I mean? But, yeah. Yeah, like, I was... Just, on the Goldberg thing, I was really... I don't know if sad's the right word to use, but I find it really hard to watch some of those later Undertaker matches, especially the Roman one at WrestleMania, because I don't think I wouldn't say he was becoming what he feared he always would be, which is a parody of himself. I wouldn't go that far, but it was still just so sad to see him. And that Goldberg match he had in Saudi Arabia, I mean, that was just horrific. It really that was. was like, that was the first unintentionally funny match I've seen in a long time. <laughs> but, like, obviously, I'm, like, worried. But I look back, I'm like, this is just... Like, it's sad, dude. Like, yeah, it this would have yeah. been incredible in 2002. That's all I was thinking. This could have been an amazing match, but obviously, we know how Vince was in that mindset with the WCW acquisition back then. Um, and it didn't happen, but... Yeah, Undertaker is, you know, just... <laughs> Have you, just before I go into this, have you seen the cameos that Undertaker's done? I have seen them, yeah, yeah. Obviously, I love the, the one he did for um, I love the one he did for Brian Alvarez's uh, Granny, of course. That was my favourite one. Yeah, that was good. I also <laughs> like the All Elite Scooby Doo. That was very, that's hilarious. But with, with the Undertaker, I just think, um, yeah, the, the, the WrestleMania 33, like, yeah, you know what, the match wasn't great and I don't think we should have expected it to be but I thought that was as good a time as any to retire because yeah. if you look at every Undertaker mm-hmm. match since then they've all been quite a bit more and look I to- I'm not saying I'm not 
getting mad at the Undertaker, I get it. This happens in wrestling, happens in sports. Like, look at Michael Jordan in 2002 with the Wizards. You know what I mean? He had one of the greatest possible, like, last games, last game-winning shot, win the finals, championship. But then he comes back and just kind of, no, I wouldn't say he's time his legacy. And I wouldn't even say the Undertaker has because we're all going to sweep this, you know, 2015 to 2020 era of his career under the rug as fans of the Undertaker. But you know, you could de- he could definitely have retired after WrestleMania 30. Yeah. And the sacrifice there would be we didn't get the Brock matches in 2015. But you know what? That's fine. I would rather that kind of very poetic retirement. Um, but you know, it's 33 where he put his what he put his coat and his hat and his gloves in the ring. I just thought that is, you know, one of the most picturesque, cinematic, you know, just very amazing, for lack of a better term, retirements you could have in wrestling. Have you, have but, you seen... You know, it's just Sorry, go You know, just Vince just kept calling him back and he'd do anything for Vince. And I respect that, um, that friendship and that respect for each other. But at the same time, it's like, Vince only is calling this guy because he doesn't have anyone that can draw like the Undertaker can, and that's an indictment of yeah. you know, Vince and creative and their their approach to um, their product now. But yeah, have you seen the uh, the Last Ride documentary? I have, and you know, I thought it was really good, but there were things about it I didn't like. Um, just. You know, you know, it was really good. I enjoyed it. I think it was a good look at The Undertaker. Because I think by now, like, we, The Undertaker did keep up the gimmick for so long. Yeah. And even longer than to the point where we were like, wow, like, he's really, you know. And obviously now, I just, there's not, there's no mystique at all. For me, at least. But, yeah. I, I did think it was a very well done thing. And it was a very, very clever answer to the last dance that was made about Michael Jordan earlier in the year. But I have to ask you this question because obviously the reason he kept coming back was because he was so disappointed with that Roman uh, match at WrestleMania 33 and he came back the following year and had the match with Cena and if you watch the documentary back obviously him and Cena are out there for what like two minutes it was a very very quick match but he felt great you know he felt really good do you think if he'd had a longer match with John Cena and it had gone really well, do you think he would have been able to just sort of ride away there or do you think he still would have had to keep coming back? Because that was what he was searching for, wasn't it? He was searching for this last great match and he finally got it kind of with the, the, the Boneyard match of AJ. But if he had had a match with Cena that was you know, quite decent, do you think that would have satisfied him? I mean, it's obviously very hard to say I think if you know I mean there was problems with that card because you know like I'll get back to this but just with that Wrestlemania in particular like even AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura like suffered from their spot on the card and you know just how much was on the card and how little time they got too but you know it's super hard to say because it's it, we got a very small sample size of how Undertaker was at that time, like, okay, he went out there for, what, two minutes, and he looked great, but how good, how gassed is he going to get? Exactly, yeah. Even in yeah. 2015, you know what I mean? I think, 
look, Cena could still have maybe pulled it out of him because it's it's very weird, right? Because Cena has never been. Like, I will argue with anyone that says he's not a good wrestler because I think John Cena is a very good wrestler, but not in the same way that you know Bret Hart or Ric Flair is a good wrestler. He's got his own unique ability to create this very exciting match, you know. But it would have been it would have been a real kind of stretch. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I, I, I probably know it wouldn't have been as good, but there could have been... It could have still gone a little longer and been better. But the point is, we look at that now and we're kind of like, what the fuck was that? When you when it finished, when the bell rung up of that tombstone, like it didn't really get out of second gear, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely, but, yeah. Yeah. Um... I, what did he say he wanted to go 45? I definitely don't think he could have, nor should he Oh, no, absolutely not. No, um, no. I would say if it had gone 10 to 15, it could have been better, but if it went past 15, it probably would have, you know, overstayed its welcome. But, I mean, yeah. that those WrestleMania cards from, like, um, I don't know, I'd say 32 onwards were just bloated and far too long. Yeah, they were, absolutely. Yeah, I kind of liked it this year where they, they split them up over two nights. Um, I've always thought yeah, that, that could... that's something that that was something that I thought they should have done for a while. Do like a raw night, and yeah. A that's what I've always thought as well. Yeah, whatever. But yeah. Anyway, as we're recording this, we're coming up to the beginning of Dynamite in a few minutes, so I won't keep you any longer. Okay. Are you going to watch Dynamite live? Yeah, hundred percent. Um, okay, so I won't I won't keep right it any longer, but. TV, so I'll get on it. But we are uh, we, we we could talk we could talk a lot longer about a variety of different things. So um, I'm going to definitely do more podcasts in the future, and I'd love to have you back uh, on at some point in the future. Yeah, absolutely, I'm down. No, I, I really enjoyed it, and and uh, thank uh, I'm glad we finally got a chance to do this. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Okay, thank you, CJ.